0: I'm still eating a sandwich. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? My name is James DeFiori. You're watching Ball with James DeFiori. And my guest today is a personal friend. He wasn't a personal friend up until about February of this year when he appeared on the Dean Blundell podcast uh, with myself, Lachlan, and Dean. Um, and it was the first time that uh, he had spoken in public after a five-year sort of hiatus. And, uh sort of a de facto gag order on advice of his lawyers uh to not talk about the ordeal that he went through that was uh that sort of made him collateral damage of uh the me too era and uh we that's how we met and um and now a whole bunch of shit has happened but i will let him uh talk to you guys about that once again um actually for the first time ever on blackballed this is mike bullard mike how you doing buddy Yeah,
1: you know what i can see you i can hear you it's fantastic can't believe uh, I was able to do this. I am. So I, I feel uh, smarter than Noam Chomsky right now. Yeah,
0: you you already well, yeah, yeah. you you're somehow more technically savvy than uh, technologically savvy than 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 Noam was the other day. Thanks for bringing that up. I haven't thought about it since then. Um,
1: yeah, so I'm not going to pretend. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to be excited because I talk to you what 50 times a day,
0: something like that. So for those who don't know, Mike and I are writing a book together, um, and it has a lot to do. It, it is about uh, you know Mike's tumultuous situation that he took place. I don't know. This, so the reason why I'm sort of stumbling over my own words or, or reaching for something to say is because I don't know how much we're allowed to talk about as far as the publisher is concerned. But it is a it is a book that describes the ordeal that you went through that you've already described publicly on um, on the other podcast on the Dean Blundell show, and that I've written extensively for. Um, for dean blundell and for blackballed and for uh the, the peel weekly and then somehow the asian metro decided to hijack all my work not give me any money <laughs> but it was still it, it was it was the same story um
1: but yeah we're writing consolation if it's any consolation they put it in mandarin
0: yeah so you still didn't read it
1: no <laughs> um you know what i'm leaving the uh Heavy lifting and painful stuff to you. As you know, the stuff I've been writing is uh, about my life, things I enjoyed in my life, and uh, mostly the things I enjoy now mm-hmm. and where I am now. So you're the one with the court transcripts. You're the one uh, writing about all the BS, and I'm happy to leave it to you. Yeah. Because you when know, push to shove, When push comes to shove, you'll just write it because uh, I... I think our friendship is based on the fact that I gave you fifty percent of the book.
0: Largely. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, wanted yeah. 60, but you know, since you have the gal you have the job of writing diary entries and I have to actually look through documents. Don't say diary, right? Journal. <laughs> okay, journals, right? Is that don't like a purse, like means. a man purse? It's just a bag. <sighs> How do you want well, going- my interview? Go ahead. I'm asking you, how do you think it's going? How do you think the book is going on your end? Like, like you sent me the other book or you gave it to me. Um, and the book that you wrote at the time, was it the year 2000? Something like that.
1: 1999. 1999. Uh, half written before I started it. It was uh, emails from audience members that I answered. <laughs> kind of like Dear Abby, but funny. Yeah. And quite frankly, the best if book had gigs, a problem, Steve. I didn't really care.
0: You have the best book gigs. Come on. I know. because
1: do.
0: someone told me what so this is my first like, I got to publish a children's book but this is my first like grown-up book that a uh, book deal that I've gotten and those people that tell you that like the journey of writing the book is a lot better than the satisfaction once it's complete are fucking liars <laughs> every last one of them I am not having like a fun experience with this book I find it challenging and interesting and I like it but fun is not a word I would use
1: you know what? I ain't much on navel gazing. So you think you find it painful? Me writing about my own life and everything being about me, 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 me. Four hours a day is driving me nuts. Come on. I, the I don't your hate show it. had
0: your name on it. You know, like, like you know, you're you're not navel gazing, but you're you know, I wouldn't have this book deal if your name wasn't attached to it, right? Like this is this book
1: makes me wish I was an alcoholic with a drug problem because they're lucky. Well, they're I lucky. Have good news. They don't remember you're anything.
0: You're being interviewed when by You
1: remember Rudy. everything. That includes a bad along with the good. And that goes yeah. all the way back to when you were a kid.
0: Yeah, that's true. Uh, you don't have, and that's what's always fascinating about when I sit down and talk to you is that, um, and I've said this to you before, you're like organically belligerent, right? Like that's not a milk- yeah. Milwaukee's best in your hand, right? That's, that's whatever, diet soda, I assume? Club soda. Club soda. So it's like, you're right. You he do, do have to remember. I don't need
1: alcohol to be an asshole. That's what you're trying to say in a nice yeah, way. Yeah, like right? imagine well, you, say you on it alcohol. Because nice you're not texting me right now. <laughs>
0: imagine you on alcohol, though, brother. <laughs> I can't even imagine it.
1: You know, my bet is my bet is I would be really, uh, really kind, really giving, uh, <laughs> to the point of ridiculous. You think you know, so? All become a holes when they drink. I don't think I would.
0: Depends what you drink. I know a lot of people that react completely differently when they drink rye, for example, versus like white wine. Like the rye, and it's not just because of the potency, it's like there's something in rye that just turns people into inbred fucking assholes when they drink it.
1: Well, I'm with, uh, I don't know how to put this because you know her. I'm in a, uh, just in case she's watching, I'm in a non relationship with someone now. And uh, I never enjoy her company more than when she's had a martini or a snifter of brandy. Oh! And this is opposed as opposed to uh, my life before and all the other people I was with who I couldn't stand when they had one or two. But in her case, uh, I enjoy her 24-7. But when she's got a snifter of brandy and a martini, she's got a successful business. And a very, very wonderful family that's very tight knit. So she's busy all the time. But when what, she what's a, a snifter? Huh?
0: What is it? What's a snifter? I've yeah, always wanted to know.
1: Glass, that glass you're holding. You don't pretend. Oh, the this. cognac glass. You no, know why? why? Because you drink your brandy from the bottle.
0: No, I don't. I don't even drink. I drink like gl- oh, oh yeah, one. you stop
1: drinking. um hmm. It's that glass you're holding. The palm of your hand. She's so you okay. of your hand warm, like about.
0: the oversized ones, like the piano bar guys use for tips
1: yeah she's got a tiny one but uh that's what she does so anyway, wait a you know second though. right now james because you told me not to do it but i'm doing it anyway
0: okay hold on let me set this up though first of all i was going to say suggest that i read it because do you really want to read your own I'm do do you better. Okay,
1: there's a well, reason they didn't choose you to do the audio book
0: yeah well it's your book <laughs> i'm just point. writing Thank it you. for you <laughs> okay go ahead so wait the setup would be um so Michael and I, just let me do this for a couple of seconds so that people understand. So I the reason why Michael and really? I, the reason why Bullard and I are writing the book together is because like Mike said earlier, he's going to be writing like the chapters and the stories because sometimes you'll sneak in there in certain chapters or whatever that I'm writing uh, that have to do with personal life experiences. Um, that relate to sort of the overarching subject matter of the book, which is basically your character, how it was impugned, what you're really like, warts and all, and that you're a good guy and everything like that. My job is to write the more technical shit, the media side of it, the the blueprint, if you will, of what it's like to get caught up as me too shrapnel, you know? And and Mike's about to read, uh, and, you know, I won't, I'm not going to even like describe it. I want the audience to do that without my influence. But Mike sent this to me the other day and uh and that and he's reading this now mike you can set up exactly what you're reading but i just wanted to let the audience know that that's what the situation was with our book
1: after i wrote this i was emotionally and physically drained because i never wrote anything like this in my life and uh i actually had a tear in my eye when i left the library yes i write at the library You know why? Because I don't believe in sitting around at a laptop at your table doing all this by yourself. This whole thing is bad enough, you know, thinking about your own life for 24 hours a day while you're writing this. But uh, I like to go to the Frank McKechnie Library every day in Mississauga. I do it there because there's lots of people around, lots of noise, lots of kids getting in trouble. I enjoy that kind of thing, and it makes me more creative. So the last three paragraphs of this, there's very few people on the face of the earth. Who will ever know what this is, who this is about? But I do. And I don't know, I can't even explain the changes this person uh, brought to me. She ain't happy about it, but she did. I wouldn't trade the year I was born for any other. When I was a kid, the neighborhood bully had to have the stones to walk up to you personally. They couldn't attack you anonymously from a laptop in their bedroom or be aided by twisted parents in the pursuit of victims enabling you to decide if you were a man or a mouse on the spot. The mid to late 70s were the best time to be a teenager for many reasons. There was a right and wrong period. There were no gray areas. When you got caught doing something wrong, the situation wasn't complicated. I hate that word. You simply lived with the repercussions and the punishment fit the crime. There was no Young Offenders Act or whatever the hell they call it now. Uh, There was no Young Offenders Act, and the Stephen Truscott story gave you nightmares. Fuck, if an innocent kid could go to Kingston Pen for something he didn't do, you had to stay on the right path. Whenever I see somebody get caught today, the defense usually contains the phrase, complicated situation. Whenever I hear it, I want to reach into the TV and bash their heads in. Maybe it was only true in my high school, but there were no roofies dropped in girls' drinks, and myself and the guys I hung out with, and still do, didn't put our hands or anything else for that matter where they weren't invited. We didn't lose our virginity in high school, most of us anyway, but it was a small price to pay and nobody would come out of the woodwork in the event of our Supreme Court of Canada confirmation hearings. We had keg parties in empty fields every Friday and Saturday night where there's a sea of high rises and subdivisions now. Sadly, at least in my case, we didn't learn the difference between sex and love at an early age either. If your heart doesn't skip a beat when you pull onto her street for the hundredth time and immediately following sex, if you call a cab, even if it's your place, don't marry her. One more thing. I don't care what feminists say. If you have to be in the delivery room, our dads were lucky. Mine was in a bar with my grandparents. Stand by your true love's head, hold her hand and close your eyes until it's over. Women may go through the hell of birth, but they don't get that bird's eye view during crowning. By the way, I'd love to know why they call it that. There's nothing majestic about it. I only saw it once when a friend dragged me in with him, and it wasn't pretty. My problem is I like to think of that area of a woman as a perfect flower, not the horrifying scene in Alien, you know, with the kid springs out out of there like he was intent on killing everybody in that room. If you stay, I got two words for you, c C-section. When I was 18, I had developed an incurable romantic streak, which I still have. I believe in the Greek myth that at one time we were all clams and during a raging storm, our shells broke in two and were flung thousands of miles apart and eventually became human beings. Sorry, Darwin. The myth says we spend our lives on earth looking for that person and a lucky few locate them out of the gate. I got married in 1984 and I have to say we were pretty mismatched. She was five years older than I was and had two kids from her first marriage. We both worked at Bell Canada and our parents were old friends and ecstatic at the thought of us being together. We dated for five years, broke up a few times, but always seemed to get back together for some reason. One Saturday night at dinner, she told me we had to get married or move on. I said, okay, that's a beautiful moment you remember forever. I really liked her and I wanted her kids to have a decent life. I even adopted them. So I thought, what the hell, nothing's better, nothing better's gonna come along for me anyway. I should have known it wasn't gonna work when I was pissed about trading my motorcycle for a four-door family car. I remember being in the chapel moments before she walked down the aisle, hoping beyond hope that she was gonna back out so we could just have a party. She didn't. The reception was great. Everybody said my brother and I gave the funniest speeches they ever heard. It was more important to me to be funny than say anything heartfelt, another bad sign. We honeymooned in Nassau and the weather was beautiful. (laughs) On the second day at the resort, we met a British couple and had dinner with them. They'd been married five years, no kids. After dinner, they informed us they were swingers and very attracted to both of us. Suddenly, I was glad I was married. I was ecstatic. Sadly, Mrs. Bullard, I only think of my mom when I hear that now, wasn't. If only the husband had better teeth. A word of advice, if you even imagine you're going to get a TV show down the road, don't marry the wrong person. We returned home a week later and began married life. Things seemed good for a few years and didn't really go south until 88. That was the year I got promoted and started Amateur Night at Yuck Yucks. It was the beginning of countless affairs and the end of my marriage. We separated four or five times in the next 10 years, and believe me when I tell you, I was to blame. I came back largely due to pressure from my own family and another reason men don't talk about. It. Sorry, girls, this is true. You miss your house and the usual rude home. I'm sorry, it sounds cold, but it's the absolute truth. After my show started, we bought a nicer house in a better part of town. Another mistake. In the fall of 2001, my dad was in the hospital dying. He had two wishes. He asked Patty to quit smoking, and he asked me to find personal happiness that would equal the happiness I found in my career. He saved Patty a fortune and cost me about $2 bucks. Thanks, Dad. I finally pulled the trigger for good after he died and began a relationship with my director, which was, in a word, lovely. It ended when the show did, but I have fond memories and it made me realize with the right person I could be monogamous. I had a summer of love before I hooked up with her and believe me, it's not as much fun as you think it would be. I betted some really beautiful women I didn't belong in the same town, let alone bedroom with, but it wasn't fulfilling. Although as empty experiences go, it wasn't bad either. After the show ended, I had a 10 year relationship with someone from my past that in many ways was toxic and ended badly. I didn't exhibit great behavior there either. Next came the illustrious local newswoman, and we all know how that ended. My uncle Jack made an interesting statement to me when I was a kid that I've lived by in business. If you don't lie, you never have to remember what you said. I often ditch that credo in my personal life and I deeply regret it. I never really knew what love was, but I do now. It's being faithful because you can't imagine being anything else. Put her needs first and make them yours without even knowing it. Give her space, but make sure she knows you're always there when you're needed. Make a simple, this is the most important thing. Make a simple trip to the grocery store a date and always make her laugh until she wants to pee. Most importantly, listen. And if you're in my business, never under any circumstances, treat her like an audience member. Make jokes for her and her only. I still believe in that Greek myth. Sometimes if you're lucky, that shell turns up after another more violent storm in murky waters. You just have to hope that half hasn't become completely independent on its own for thousands of years. That's it.
0: <sighs> wow, dude. Like, It's not something that you would expect to come from Mike Bullard.
1: Not something I expected to come from me. You know what? Uh... In some respects, last week was a bad week. In other respects, it was probably uh, the best week for me mentally I ever had in my life.
0: Hi, I'm Steve Yerko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, 4 Kids Flashback. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Is this one of those situations where you thought it was going to be awful, but because of whatever you thought was going to be awful happened, everything became really gravy by the end of the week? Is that one of those things?
1: No. You know, it's never going to be that. I mean, I can't talk about her. You know her. I can't talk about her. I can't give her name, but uh, I just – I I wrote that because – I wish I felt that way at uh, 22, 23 about person, about a person. I truly believe if I met this person at 21, 22, 23, my life would have been drastically different. I still would have had the TV show. I still would have had everything else, but I wouldn't have had the negatives that went with it. And uh, I certainly wouldn't wouldn't have had an ended marriage. And you know what? One of my biggest regrets, James, is I never had kids. Yeah. And one of the reasons I didn't have kids was because I was deathly afraid I was going to have a girl who looked like me.
0: <laughs> yeah, hold on. Uh, yeah, I, could, I know what you mean.
1: You know? Well, your daughter looks nothing like you.
0: Yeah, but uh, look what okay. you look
1: like. All right, shut up. <laughs> you don't know, take that down. You know,
0: I'm thinking there might be a reason why you weren't having kids oh. at 23.
1: <laughs> There's nothing wrong with how I look there. Come on. And by the way, that's like- all real hair. And you got a lot of nerve anyway. Let's see one of you. With full okay.
0: Hair. Uh, hold on. I'll show you, I'll show you. how freaky you look. I look. I look good. What are you talking about? You Why? Know? Well, hold on. Let's let's do the. Uh, let's do you first. Okay. Because there's another one of. There's one of you. You're when you're giving the finger to the Canadian geese. That's a good one of you. Nice sunset in the background. You know.
1: Yeah, I lost 20 pounds since that picture was taken. Do you have anything flattering in there?
0: Probably not. I mean, I, <laughs> it's me. <laughs> I hate right? Canada geese.
1: You know, I love Canada. Yeah. But I hate anything with the preface or the ends in Canada Canada geese the bachelor Canada amazing yeah. race Canada Canada dry in the book because of the production company that produces those shows it's the same one that produced my show and today when I'm done with you I'm going to go right about that
0: oh okay here's one of me but you're also there you know <laughs> you scared me I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know what I was doing <laughs> Um,
1: <laughs> by the way, anyway, if I'd done, uh, what people think I was doing based on that picture, it's a very flattery impression of the size of my member because I'm a good six feet behind you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Objects in mirror are probably about as small as they seem.
1: <laughs> that was, uh, it was a fun week with you and Rob. Yeah, My lawyer at, uh, Sobel beach,
0: our lawyer now. We just pass him around like he's a hooker on prom night
1: nowadays. Like, But you two freaks and your mushrooms. I'm telling you, man. Yeah. I've reached a point in my life where I don't call the cops on people anymore, but I was so tempted with you two. I was, by the end of the week, I was ready to kill both of you.
0: Are you kidding? If the cops came and, and Rob and I just went, let's just say he's belligerent. The cops would have been like, look at sir, you seem a little belligerent. You're like, what the fuck? These fucking guys? And we'd just be like, see? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You add alcohol to that and it's going to be like, man, I, I, I watched a, I watched your strumble. How about the two of you
1: hugging each other in bed? How about that? How well, about me walking in I'm, from a night swim and seeing the two of you hugging each other on the mattress, practically weeping and confessing all your sins to each other. Okay. It was the most ridiculous all right, thing all right. I ever that. saw in my life.
0: Pump the brakes there, Bullard. Because what happened was this. I know how to take mushrooms and Rob didn't at the time. And he decided to take some that he made him uncomfortable. I was in the room working, in in my bedroom for the week, working, and my door was closed. And he came, he came in, and he's got a blanket wrapped around him, and he's like, um, "Is it okay if I sit in here on the bed with you?" And I'm like, uh, "Sure." <laughs> Up on board and then you came in like about five minutes later and you're like i leave for 20 minutes and you you guys are all of a sudden making lifestyle decisions and stuff and i was like no i'm just sitting on the bed and that bed had like it i counted it had 12 pillows
1: yeah i know so it's,
0: there was a big there was like a fort between us you remember the dog he's cottage world?
1: he's a giant and he's got to have a lot of pillows he can't sleep without a ton of pillows it's
0: weird it's like is he caligula
1: that- <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> got the best marriage of anybody I know. Him and his wife have separate bedrooms too. Yeah,
0: yeah the Fred and Wilma—that's the way. And they go. have a
1: fantastic sex life, and they have a fantastic marriage.
0: Do you want to see video from that week? I don't care. Hey, hey, Mike! What, what happened to your head, buddy? Shut up. <laughs> so Mike, Mike, Mike's razor is one of those quality razors, you know. You get them for like eight of them for a dollar fifty.
1: <laughs> Bought at a gas station. Hey, How do women shave their legs with these guys? I didn't use a lady's razor to shave. I don't know why I would shave my head that week.
0: Yeah, I don't know, um, but you did use. <laughs> your Head was like that was like two hours after we met. By the way.
1: I know. Yeah. I know. Man, I've I have shaved my shaved ear. I've not shaved my head since.
0: I have shaved my ear. I have cut my ear shaving before like accidentally like I'm just doing one of these just going on the back doing like that and when I got here I just went eh, and then I got like and in ear bleeds when you yeah, shave get it back to the book all right so what diary I mean journal entry which somehow is better are you sending next what are you working on today Mike
1: uh I'm going to talk about the show how I got it what happened during it and uh how it ended prematurely even though it was on for seven and a half years
0: Yeah, I'm going to tell a story because uh, I think it's hilarious about your show, about how when we first met, which you don't remember, and there's a good reason for that because you met 100 or 200 people every time you did a show. But I went to see you when Hayden was on the show, and the joke was, for me, is that, um, so we saw Hayden, he's a folk artist or whatever from uh, Toronto, and before I went on the show, and I told you this when we were in Salvo Beach, I didn't think the show was funny. And I'll tell you why, though, because this is I'm going to Steve Martin you right now. I'm going to make you hate me, but then you'll you'll come crawling back because I when I was young and I watched the show because um, I'm, I'm a lot younger than you, um, I I used to think that the audience wasn't laughing at your jokes. Right. And I told you in Sobble Beach that the weird thing was, is that I went to the Hayden show, the one with, where you had Hayden on and the monologue, which was usually eerily quiet on air, was Really loud. Everyone was laughing, and you know as well as I do when you watch comics on television, like thirty thirty percent of why you laugh is because you hear the audience laughing. It's like a camaraderie thing in a sense, right? Like okay. I don't you know. know, what know the I can say something is. that hurt you right now.
1: Thirty percent of the reason an amateur laughs is because of a laugh track.
0: An amateur what?
1: An amateur. A professional <laughs> doesn't need a laugh track to no. know something's funny.
0: No, no, no. It's not a laugh track. It's a real audience. I'm not talking about. Sitcoms. Or a,
1: a, a, they don't need a micd audience a professional doesn't need a mic the audience to know what's funny.
0: whatever I was in my 20s what's your excuse um so anyways so I went uh, so but I went to the show and and it was allowed during the monologue when it isn't normally loud and maybe I did have a lot to learn back then I was 20 right like you know it's not something that I, like, I didn't think of the innards of comedy stylings and how I should receive them like it wasn't even a thought in my head but then when I met you and uh, and then we went to Sabo Beach you told me something that made everything make sense because when i went home that night when i was 20 and i watched the episode it was quiet yeah so what's the what was the deal with that because you explained it to me and i was like oh that makes well, total sense didn't,
1: uh when i was at gretzky's it was fantastic because uh the place was packed it was not a great room second city moved in there after i left but i was only in there for one season and the mics picked up everything everything the audience did Every time the audience laughed, then they moved me to the Masonic Temple after a half-assed reno, and they don't mic the audience. Now, did the budget include money for microphones in the audience? I found out five years later that, yes, it did. But that money didn't go to microphones in the audience. Just like the money for a crane cam didn't go to a crane cam and all these other things, it went into somebody's pocket.
0: And from a production level, that's a very good insight for you to have. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, believe me, I'll uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell people, this book's going to include a lot of stuff I know. that you don't realize when you're watching Canadian television. And you're not going to believe this either, but a lot more fishy business goes on with Canadian television than goes on with American because the reins in the States are really tight when it comes to money, like really tight in this country with the TV, film and tax credit and all the other jazz that goes on, there's a lot of loose money floating around that nobody audits, nobody.
0: Yeah, and it's like a small town too, the yeah. entertainment industry in Canada. You know, like I, I went from living in Toronto to living in a small town and s- small towns are just fucking corrupt. They're, they're, they're just on a much smaller scale, but they're corrupt. Yep. You, show me, you show me a town that has no media outlet or one media outlet and I'll show you a corrupt council.
1: Period. you know i said to somebody when i was at ten ten, and all that and that hazel mccallion inquiry started i said to somebody at the toronto sun uh this is your fault it's the star's fault it's the sun's fault it's the Globe and mail's fault i said everything's focused on toronto all the time toronto 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 i said do you know how much murder has been gotten away with in whitby ajax mississauga oakville burlington over the course of the last 30, 40 years, the stuff these people have gotten away with. I mean, this woman who was heralded as the greatest mayor in North American history, in point of fact, and I think people are starting to realize it now, was the worst mayor in the history of this country. For 40 years, she kept taxes down. Come here now, you'll see the infrastructure crumbling. The current mayor and the city council have been stuck with it, but the infrastructure in this town is absolutely crumbling, you know, because nothing was done for 40 years and she was up to all kinds of fishy crap, you know, but people still, you know, her hundredth birthday was a reason for celebration.
0: I can't even remember if she's alive or dead.
1: Uh, you know what? (laughs) I I know, but I still don't care. (laughs) And you won't see me doing RIP when it happens either.
0: Oh, she's not dead. See, I just no, thought she was dead. No, okay.
1: no. And you know, most people when they die, I will do an RIP if I respect them. But boy, if I don't like you.
0: That was the she's like the Ralph Klein of Canadian of Ontario municipal politics. Yeah. You know? I don't and know if all, she was in-
1: and they all uh kiss her ass to this day, whether they're federal or provincial, whether it's Doug Ford or Justin Trudeau. Now, what's your issue with her, else. though?
0: What's your—is it just that, just that she didn't spend enough on infrastructure because she kept taxes down, oh, like, like sort of like oh, man, an ideological I, I've conservative? People, I
1: right? talked to people who are developers here who have lots of things to say that I won't go into. But the bottom line is, they had to have a seven million dollar inquiry because she tried to tried to get the real estate deal for her son for a convention center, and he got a cancellation fee, you know. And still, still, people my parents' age. Didn't turn on her. I got ants in their 80s who think she's a god.
0: Yeah, that happens. Hey, eh? Once you get to like 70, I think, maybe, I don't know, and you're elected into office, I think the other 70 and overcrowd are just like, you know, Randy's doing a good job, and they don't know why they're saying it, but they look like them.
1: Yeah, and it's <laughs> like, uh, you know, downtown elites are going to keep John Tory uh, as Toronto mayor forever. They are. I, know, gonna-
0: I, I, I think John Tory's weak and sniveling. I don't like him
1: he's uh ineffective rob ford on crack did a better job than he has
0: he did know that.
1: well he privatized garbage on the east side james what the hell's tory done I don't know. Well, by the way i uh had four shows downtown last friday and saturday yeah they might as well put up a fucking sign that says if you don't live here don't come here it Why? took me an hour and 35 minutes each night to drive the 20 kilometers to Richmond and John. That's he drove from, from... That's an from, hour and a half for 12 miles.
0: From Etobicoke or... or yeah. Where do you from, live no,
1: from Mississauga. Oh. That's an hour and a half for 12 miles. It's insane.
0: Next time, just drive to Ronsey and take the streetcar in. Oh, It'll man, you know what you what you i will probably save you like... You know
1: what? I told you last week when your wife loved what I wrote, do whatever you have to do to hang on to her, even if it includes getting your fucking driving license. I don't even know why i'm talking to you about traffic and driving because all you're going to do is say well just just take the rochester streetcar and then okay you know what take it.
0: <laughs> i don't know
1: I, I drove for a long time i lived
0: in toronto for a long time but yeah i'm just i'm just saying the traffic is so bad in toronto that you might as well take the streetcar because you're going to get there just as quick and then you don't have now, to. now you're in parking. barry's
1: bay in a converted flour mill in the middle of nowhere and your wife's got to drive you everywhere. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life.
0: If it makes you feel any better, it's literally her only job. So, Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal and everyone at my company, The Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, Matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with, at soundoff.network.
1: Oh, man, you better hope she doesn't watch this podcast. Hope? I, I have good confirmation that athlete. she
0: never fucking does. Yeah. <laughs> <So fun. laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, the uh th- that week that week was hilarious though for a lot of reasons, but notwithstanding the whole mushroom thing. Um, but I, actually I don't know if you know this, but remember the fella that picked me up? Yeah, Peter Benner.
1: Yeah, the old guy.
0: Yeah, he passed away.
1: Um so I guess I could say I have my foot in my mouth now by saying the old guy, but based on what you just said, I was dead on. He was an old guy.
0: Yeah, uh Sort of break it, to you, but he was two years younger than you. But he did look older. <laughs> there you go. In your in your defense, but yeah, he He was, a very, he was
1: a very nice man. Yep. And uh, I guess if we've learned one thing from this, don't uh, don't drive James more than ten miles. This guy dropped. Maybe I'll get Michelle Sobel to Beach drive me.
0: me back to Whippy to visit my mom. Now you got he me did. thinking. Didn't he drive yeah, you maybe.
1: from Barry's Bay to Slabbe Beach?
0: He did. I just said maybe I can get. Michelle to drive me somewhere for 12 miles. See how that goes. I don't know. (laughs) No, but I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Yeah, he he dropped me off. He went to go. So this is actually kind of weird. He dropped me off. He went to uh, Niagara region to go be with his dad who was ailing. And then he came and he picked me up and we drove back. And then like a week later, his father passed away. And then he spent the next two months taking care of his mom, driving back and forth. And then one day he was driving back. And it was like six weeks and a day ago or whatever. And uh, he said, James, what do you think happens when you die? And I, we were passing by this church in Wilno. And I said, nothing. I think we become worm food, right? And he said, what would you do if you were wrong? And I would be like, I don't know. I guess I'd just say I was wrong. And But it was weird that he asked me that because then he died two days later.
1: What did he so
0: die of? He died in his sleep, and I still don't really know. I haven't, like, reached out to family.
1: You die in your sleep, you're a good person.
0: I guess so. That's what they say. I, who's they? You know, they you say. go to sleep,
1: you don't wake up. That's it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it would be nice and everything. But I don't know. There's something to be said for the carjacking death. You know? People remember that shit. I don't
1: know. There's or other ways de- to go, too. De- uh, a friend of mine is very sad. I don't want to say it it's kind of private she might yeah, be watching you, but her boyfriend died now. last week oh and uh yeah it was kind of it was it was very very sad because uh she met the guy a year ago it's later in life for both of them and they were very very happy but he died the way every guy wants to go if you know what I'm saying
0: oh he was having sex
1: uh, you know what i said if you know what i'm saying it doesn't mean you got to respond everyone knew what you were saying all I did was just make it easy try to pretend to be a guy for a minute just go yeah I know oh I'm sorry
0: he died while fucking
1: no (laughs) just say yeah I know what you mean
0: oh I thought you meant be a guy okay be polite guy oh I know what you mean yeah sex
1: I don't know if it's a great way to go
0: it depends if it's post or pre climax
1: uh you know what I didn't feel like pushing for detail
0: yeah, you don't want to, you got to pull out at that point.
1: Yeah, that's the whole point. Exactly, <laughs> That's what I was saying without really saying it. <laughs> but I'm so glad you're here.
0: What an amazing way to get pregnant, though, if that ever happened. Like life and death are just No, way, like,
1: man, it's too fucking yeah. much like Rosemary's baby for me.
0: Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like the cycle of life is like, uh, 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 and swimming towards a pregnant dead, but alive.
1: Oh, wait, there. man, if that happened, that's like the devil's spawn. That's devil's spot. There's no devil, so
0: we could just go with, you know, Kid Rock. By the way, just
1: based on the stuff I wrote last week, I wouldn't be a chick for anything. I don't know how they do it.
0: Yeah, chick. Yeah, go on.
1: I wouldn't be a woman. Burn (laughs) the book book sales
0: before they even go on sale.
1: (laughs) You know, every time you go, okay, every time you go out on a first date, you're doing everything your father told you not to do. You're getting in the car of a stranger. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, Louis
0: C.K. Has, has a bit about that where he says that, you know, if you're going on a date for for the first time and you're a girl, you're basically going out with a grizzly bear and you're hoping that the grizzly bear doesn't murder you. <laughs> yeah, time. I never heard
1: it, but that's a good point. And uh, mm-hmm. this thing, thing with Uber, all these Uber guys uh, sexually uh, assaulting women. I mean, you're getting in a car, at least if you get in a taxi cab, there's a picture on the back with a license number. So at least you'll be able to report the guy. I know with Uber, it's on your phone, so you can still report the guy, but you never know what the hell's going to happen. Yeah, and I've always not hated- even to mention the whole uh, menstruation thing. The whole baby thing. All that jazz. Do it. Right.
0: You know, See, either, I, I, normally I would be like, go oh, on. But we have you a
1: takes me. You <laughs> know, it takes me to get ready and look good and leave the house five minutes. That includes a shower. Then you got the makeup thing. You got all that jazz. Okay, you know what? I'm just joking. I'm just fucking around with you. It, it was, was a good timing. Time Come on,
0: you're even smiling.
1: By the way, <laughs> yeah. I've never used a blow dryer in my life, ever. <laughs> ever. We know. never had to.
0: <laughs> we know. No, but it's more I fun. I did have guys
1: hard. dry my hair like this. Really? At the barbershop, but I've never had to yeah. use a blow dryer.
0: Okay. Well, then you oh. can't make fun of me for being in bed with the lawyer. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> if you had someone doing that. Did you ever have to, they make you pluck your eyebrows or thread them or whatever?
1: No, I never had to. I'm um, not Italian, James. I'm not like you. I don't. I've
0: never done that. So I'm only half Italian. Half any Dutch.
1: Italian guy I know with two eyebrows has one on top of the other. <laughs> My yeah, body you know, is that? really
0: confused as it gets older because I'm half Italian, which is like hairy and greasy. And then I'm half Dutch, which is like dry skin and no hair. Right. So I had like a Jufro like a Joe Pesci. Like I was basically Joe Pesci when I was young, as far as temperament goes and my haircut. And then, but as I've gotten, I, mean, I had like hair on my legs and hair on my shoulders and chest and everything. My back was mostly spared. And then as I've gotten older, the Dutch is like inside of me is like our turn <laughs> and comfortedoma. Uh, and then they're like, now I have hardly any hair on my legs and my shoulder hair has lessened a lot and I have no hair on my head. I don't know what's happening to me, but I, I think I, I feel like Bruce Banner went to like a radioactive spa and he came half
1: out. Uh, half Dutch and, and, and half Italian. Sounds to me like every time you see a German guy in a room, you automatically get on your knees against your will. You oh, know, wow. that's a good one.
0: That's not bad.
1: That <laughs> was well, true. You must feel like yeah. you lost every war that ever was.
0: Yeah, well, the Dutch. Well, the Dutch were slavers and the uh, and the Italians were Nazi collaborators. something. <laughs> I mean as far as bloodlines go pretty white <laughs> <Can't
1: get wider laughs> like than that. Whitest white ever although you don't um, look italian what about now maybe a little
0: yeah a little bit so um another thing that i wanted to talk, talk to you about a little bit was the no a lot of people still don't know that you wanted to be a talk show host from the get-go right when you yeah, started right out you you didn't want to, and I didn't just get this from Strombolopoulos, although he said it, I talked to you about this uh, last summer, but there's not many people that want to MC in order to prep them for a talk show. Um, And Letterman was the only example that I heard you cite in the, in the one interview. You know what? I,
1: uh, when I, when I started at Yuck Yucks, I didn't want to do material. I had to do material. As you know, I wrote stuff on Friday regarding it about stand up, but, uh, I didn't want to do material. I wanted to just talk to the audience. And I knew the only way that was going to happen is if eventually I got to MC. So in order for me to MC, I had to get off amateur night by doing material, which I hated every minute of.
0: Did Mark make you do that? Yeah.
1: uh, It was just the rule. Larry Horowitz was in charge of the amateur night program. He teaches comedy at Humber College now. Don't get me going on that. Uh, And... uh, I knew the only way that I was going to get to MC was to get off amateur night. And once I started MCing, I knew the only way I was going to get a late night talk show was by genuinely being spontaneous. And when I say genuinely, I have worked with guys who are known as, you know, oh, the prince of spontaneity, blah, 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 blah. It's the same question to the same audience member in the same spot every night. It used to make me puke. So I knew if I did that, I would be all right. And then after I've been emceeing for about two years, I read an interview with Letterman where he said he never headlined. He always emceed. And his reasoning was the same as mine because he wanted a late night talk show. And he knew that if you emceed, you would talk to an audience member. They would say something to you. You would process it, turn it around, make it funny, and have it come out of your mouth in five seconds. And that uh, really was the key to late night. I think one of the best practitioners of it is probably Colbert because he's really great at the interview process. And I can't believe he came from the sketch world, not the stand-up world. Because normally when somebody comes from the sketch world, they're not great talk show hosts. This guy has the potential to be one of the greats. And Seth Meyers, to me, overall, I find his show the funniest because uh, he is probably, he and Colbert are the two most spontaneous. And I knew knew it was the only way I was going to get it. I knew it was the only way it was going to work. Wow. It's
0: so funny how um, there's so many parallels between being like a hip hop battle MC back when they used beats and they actually improvised lyrics. Not like now where they like have three weeks to write about their opponent, but like the way that you describe, um, you know, because you're like a hey, how you doing, where you from kind of guy. And and you're you're using the words of the person to instantly construct a joke into your head and spit it out without missing a beat. That's literally exactly what battle rappers do.
1: Yeah, but the, you know what? The other thing with me is I always want to know what somebody does. And I'll tell you, you make fun of people. Like somebody said to me last week, well, you really make fun of people. Well, okay, I'll tell you this much. If a guy's fat and bald, I'll make fun of him for being an accountant, not for being fat and bald, you know? <laughs> and uh, there's most people can't they can't name a job that I don't know about because up until six months before I got that talk show, I was still working at bell comedy every night, bell during the day. And, uh, you yeah, can't People don't know that. People, that I don't know something about.
0: People are surprised to hear that. But you were, while you were, um, a comedian during the day, you were in charge of corporate investigations for bell Canada.
1: Yeah. I wasn't completely in charge. That was the BP, but I was, uh, I was interrogation, embezzlement, all that stuff, you know. I mean, I'll tell you something, man. People don't realize that when a corporation has 68,000 people, and that's what they had at the time, not anymore. But when they had 68,000 people, you had some uh, rough customers working there. And uh, you had some people doing some stuff they shouldn't have been doing. Uh, We had a member of a certain motorcycle gang, which I will not name, working in one of our central offices, who was feeding that particular motorcycle club information on what lines they had that were tapped. And that one was a pretty scary situation. Wow. You know, we, I mean, we had a lot of stuff going on the last year I was there. I got a guy who stole 10 million bucks, 10
0: million but, bucks. But the interrogating, the, t- the interrogation process is like the MC asking you, "Where? what's your name? Where are you from?
1: Oh, I remember when I got the TV show and I left, my boss said to me, Jeez, uh, I hope you don't do the interviews the way you did them here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Which... It's only when well, Ty Domi is but on. The, you know what the funny part to me was? I could always tell when somebody was lying to me on the talk show. Oh, yeah? Was, yeah, the celebrities, when they came on, I could always tell... That'd be tell like every over.
0: night. That'd be every night.
1: Every uh, At least three times a week, I could tell when somebody was lying their ass off. Uh,
0: that's interesting because... It, you know not not only does it require intuition but um it means also that like that's part of the reason why you're so good at being so quick um is because of jobs like that but also um i wanted you to talk to me about what's happened in comedy because recently and i don't have to i'll, I'll mention the venue when you met if you mention it but recently um there was a comic i forget his name right now but it doesn't matter because it's really about the venue who was going to play andrew schultz Andrew Schultz, who was going to play at this venue. Can I say it?
1: Yeah, say it.
0: Oh, good. Massey, who was going to play at Massey Hall. And then there's this like advisory board, I guess, who decided, who weighed in and decided that this comedian could not play because he had said mean jokes
1: or something. Well, he had a Netflix special and they didn't like some of the stuff on it. They found it <laughs> politically incorrect.
0: Yeah. I don't, do you remember what the jokes were? Not that it matters no, to me. No, I no. don't, but okay. I
1: can tell you this much. His uh, promoter rented a bigger venue, and they had to add a third show. And he That's sold right. out all three of them. That's right. You know.
0: Big Be- and and this I that is what is new. And when people like are like, oh, "There's no such thing as cancel culture." I, who cares what what you call? I don't. I hate buzzwords. Anyways, it doesn't matter to me. But these types of situations, whatever you want to call them, don't call them anything. But these situations are happening all the time. Um, it happened to you.
1: There, yeah.
0: You were supposed, you were, you were being, yeah, I was supposed you, to do it too. Yeah. You were supposed and to they, host.
1: And uh, I think one of the reasons I gave for Cassidy was, well, we know about, we know that he didn't do this stuff or this or that, but you know, there might be women who buy tickets who think that he did. Well, no, that's not the way a venue operates. You do it. You say you're doing a show, you either sell it out or you don't. And uh, if you don't, you don't bring the person back or you cancel the show. It's not about oh. your opinion.
0: Yeah, or how about just stop being little fucking bitches and just let anyone play and let the market decide if they want them to play or not. Oh. What I don't like about it is is this it's it's this weird feeble attempt at social engineering. If we represent something here at Massey Hall that says to like activists and people and and busybodies and all that that we're on their side of certain social issues then then we'll be fine and it's like i don't think that's a good formula first of all i don't think that people are wired that way anyways i think it's a small loud minority of people that actually think that way but second of all who the fuck are you (laughs) to tell other people what's funny like
1: the other thing is i went to see louis ck at yuck yucks when he was here mark left me a couple of tickets one of my friends jack and al and uh i was there the night that the person from the Toronto Star was supposedly there and supposedly reviewed the show. And the next day that review was nothing but a bunch of lies. The audience did not respond well to him, bullshit. Uh, Every woman in the crowd hated him, more bullshit, because he got a standing ovation from every woman in that room at the end of the show. He did not apologize, bullshit. He apologized in a funny way for the first 25 minutes. So, you know, the bottom line is you can't even believe what you read about a comedy show anymore. And that alone is pissing me off. You know, I never liked critics to begin with, uh, especially in this country, because most of them them haven't got a creative bone in their body. And uh, and I don't mind having a thick skin. Because, you know what, if you're going to go in this business, you better have a thick skin. But what I don't like is having to be bulletproof because I don't believe in it and uh, I don't want to be that way. And I'm not going to change what I do to please what basically comes down to, I don't know, three people in this case. Three people.
0: I know. It's so Orwellian. Like, it's like the panel has spoken and now we're all supposed to take our cues from them.
1: Yeah, but Schultz made a fool out of them. He made a fool out of them. And still... You know, they're going to keep doing it because you know why? Their names aren't in the paper. When they get caught doing this shit, their names aren't in the paper.
0: Yeah, they're not in the paper. The deal has been struck. We'll blast the fuck out of it on digital media, though.
1: That's my next piece. That's my next piece is I'm going to
0: get their names. Jonathan K is a good example of a journalist that does does this. Recently, the uh, Toronto School Board decided that they were going to disinvite that yasidi woman who spent like three years as a sex slave from isis for like captured by isis three years as their sex slave she she escapes she writes a book i think she won a nobel prize and then the toronto i I don't even remember what school it was but a school was gonna have um this person speak and the toronto district school board was like we we think it might encourage islamophobia she was a fucking sex slave for for three years from isis who are like barbarians we saw them mass like if anyone is promoting islamophobia probably isis you know just just you know probably not the girl that was raped by isis but, but probably isis themselves are like the biggest promoters of islamophobia a word i don't even really like you know
1: No, I watched Eastern Promises the other night, and I was reading about it. You know, it's a great movie. I love that movie. That with a history of violence. And uh, there was some contingent of uh, Russians who who demanded that uh, they they redo segments of that film because it wasn't uh, even close to being true, which is complete horseshit, because every bit of it was true. You know, the white slavery, the whole bit. Grabbing girls from the Ukraine. Sticking oh. a needle full of heroin in their arm and trapping happens them in all the, the time. house in London. Yeah, I mean, how many times do people have to get caught before you go? Well, you know what? Sorry, it's not a stereotype. It's not bullshit. It's the truth.
0: The Catholics are the greatest at that. Huh? The Catholics are the greatest at that. Huh. When they talk about, it, they're like, oh, you know, you know, the percentage of priests that are pedophiles matches the societal percentage overall. It's like <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> I think somebody
1: figured out the percentage for me once. Anyway, the percentage wasn't that high, but given the number of Catholic priests out there, it was something like 1,400. And you went, Jesus, you're really going to take that 1 in 1,400 chance with your kid?
0: Well, not only that, but like, what about all the ones that didn't get caught? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not like we have a a perfect record for finding pedophiles inside churches. They got to triple that number easily. You know, most of them don't get caught, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, that candle's on the ground, kid. Don't light it. No. <laughs> you know i'm I'm always shocked when people tell me i have lots of friends who are catholic and uh i had one friend who told me oh yeah my son's an altar boy i went what like in this day and age you'd even entertain that notion yeah you know i'm not
0: my my kid uh is is of all my kid whenever he sees the statue of mary he says hi frank because that's what i told him how to do it right (laughs) that's that's what you do and um and someone asked me not too long ago like how are you going to get your kid to not believe in jesus if grandma believes in jesus and you know he's going to be at school he doesn't go to Catholic school, but you know he's going to hear about it and ask questions and i'm like oh that's easy so however old they are when they learn about santa and the easter bunny i'm just going to throw jesus in the mix boom you know what that's it
1: I say this, and I don't know if it's the same now, but if it is the same, I think they should go. When I was a kid, you went to Sunday school. And basically what you got out of Sunday school was the golden rule. Do unto others. Yeah. It's the biggest commandment to me. Do unto others. And uh, if Sunday school is the same, I think kids should go. If it's the same as it was when I was a kid. doesn't mean you got to go to church. I mean, God, my parents dropped us off at Sunday school and went for breakfast, you know? We didn't set foot in the church, but we were at Sunday school every Sunday. And I, uh, I don't know, I got a lot out of that, you know? Like I read in that chapter, the difference between right and wrong. I got a lot out of it. Yeah. And because um, that sometimes was just... you need somebody else, sometimes you need somebody else other than your parents to tell you the difference between right and wrong.
0: Sometimes, especially if me, and I feel
1: sorry for girls in their 20s and girls in their 30s, because you were dealing with uh, a race of half men who, yeah.
0: uh, I, I mean, I'm not trying to diss any women out there, but they're not stellar themselves. Like, come on. Like the 30 has become the new 16. Really?
1: <laughs> like, I guess, James, but I'll tell you the, the males are even worse. They're worse so because they, they, phys- like they can the be physically worse. Right. They don't like the fact that they're dealing with women who are better educated with better jobs and make more money than they do. And they can't handle it and they grew up watching porn where bdsm was the thing you know when i was a kid it's in the book too god or somebody put a pristine playboy magazine in a plastic bag underneath a rock in a field talk yeah. to all my high school buddies that's where we saw our first naked woman it's probably it a priest
0: that did that by the way huh it was probably a priest that did that I don't you know, know, who globe, did it,
1: but you know whoever did but- it was great because my mother got tired of the bra section missing from the Eaton's catalog. I already sent you things on that where she phoned and they said, oh, do you have uh, young boys living in the house? <laughs> and she hung up the phone. Because I'll tell you, as soon as that Eaton's catalog came in, that bra section was missing before she could order anything. You know what's funny
0: is that uh, I have a story like that. There's a There's a tree that was struck by lightning like uh down my street up this hill across this soccer field into the area in whitby that was still trees and a and a creek and stuff and um this a lightning bolt hit this thing long before i was born and we used to climb it and we climbed it one day because at the top it was like a shelf up to your chest and you could just go like yeah. this and look on forever and one day we went up there and there was a plastic bag oh fuck. now i'm thinking like god we touched it <laughs> But anyways there was some plastic bag with like 20 playboys in it dude i was so distraught because i was like six i brought the entire bag back to my mom and i was like mom i found this and i don't understand it and she's just like and she just took it away and and that was all the talk that we had like there was no like you know james sometimes uh, men and women who love each other there was no i've never had any talk i never like found out why this naked thing existed and i remember one photo. I still remember this photo. It was a photo of a woman diving into this pond and she was naked, but the picture was above her. So you saw her real bum and then the reflection of her naked body, the frontal part. Yeah, and was- I remember thinking as a six-year-old, it's a really high quality photo. It's really artistic. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't remember going like this. Holy fuck. That's, whew, wow, that's hot. Like I was six years old. Like I, I didn't know
1: yeah but for me I was 12 it was a different story man you found it at the right time yeah when I was
0: the right time when I was 12 my my buddy's older brother showed me pornography that included anal sex and I was again traumatized I was like I know why does why is this happening in front of me it scared the shit out of me literally if you want to know the truth I left I think I was 10 or 11 actually but I left I left his house I went home I contemplated telling my mom what I had seen. <laughs> you know what I mean. So yeah, if I grew either. up with pornography, twenty-four-seven access to pornography, I think I'd probably be in a straitjacket or something. And I, 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 it just—that's one, uh,
1: one sex act I'll never get. And uh, not even if there was a tattoo of Angelina Jolie's face on your back. I don't get it.
0: Don't get oh, anal sex. Yeah, yeah I don't get it. It's where poo comes from, you know. My friend used to say, like, because oh, I used to tell him, like, I'll only you know, do James, that with someone. Sometimes yeah. you
1: can just leave it out there. People will figure out what you're talking about on their own. It's my aunt. Really? It's my aunt. I'm trying to help her with her pension with the government, and she. Calls oh, me let's every hear. Ten minutes. Can
0: we have that on speakerphone? That would be a great way. Since we opened the, since we opened the show with you reading from a book for 15 minutes, maybe talking to an old person about their pension oh. would be a good way to roll All out. Right. You know. <laughs>
1: You know, I guarantee, guarantee you she's never going to see this. sort of hell of it. Yeah, there's a lot
0: of women in our lives that hopefully will never fucking see this happen. Yeah. Well, uh, you, where are you playing next? You, you got a you got a New Year's gig, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, I got, yeah. Not the one I was supposed to get, but I'm in London. Oh. London on New Year's Eve. Uh, I think there's still tickets available, folks. Go to yuckyucks.com. yuckyucks.com. That's where you go for it. Hey. You know, I love it yeah. when uh, I tell people where I'm playing and they send me an, a tweet or a, uh, you know, I know you love to make fun of me because I'm a techno-tard, but I love that's it when why, I send th- a tweet th- Mike, first
0: of all, that's not why I want I like to make fun of you. It really isn't. Yeah, okay, okay. You know.
1: Uh, they send me a tweet or a text or something on Facebook that goes, how do you get tickets? What, you can't put in Yuck Yucks London and see what comes up? <laughs> yeah. It drives me nuts that people are that stupid
0: yeah uh mike you're not exactly technologically savvy yourself i just want to point i'm just saying
1: i'm saying i'm no i'm not but at least i know enough to go to a website for god's sakes
0: (laughs) when we first started talking i
1: hit refresh today twice before you told me to well done sir and if you're gonna and and for future reference especially to Vito, the guy who interviewed me last week if you're going to interview me set up a link for this stupid thing so that i could just hit a button and be on with you because if you don't do that then that's your fault not mine this guy a whole bunch of things came up that i had to join i had to go to the app store i finally did it on my phone which didn't make me happy because the last thing this giant noggin needs is a small space you know
0: i know it's got enough enough space as it is you don't need to add more to that shit you know
1: so mike bullard uh, I'm gonna yeah, go Mike, now. I'm sure I'll I'm, hear from you 50 times. I, I was—you
0: just stepped on my outro, but okay. Oh no, Mike Bullard, ahead. ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, no, no, that was it. I was just gonna say, Mike, thank you for coming on, and you were gonna say thank you for having me, and no, then, I, then we were gonna go and do the thing. No, I
1: wasn't. I was gonna say, <laughs> I'll wait for your fucking call in five minutes. <laughs> goodbye.
0: <laughs> okay, goodbye. <laughs> oh, Mike Bullard. Yep. Yeah, um, he's a good friend. He's a good pal, and I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow on the show, we have Mercedes Nichols. She's a Mercedes Nickel not plural. She's a four-time, uh, woman's Olympian in the snowboarding. So, uh, we'll see you then. Thanks. Have a good day. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth.